water holds four times more heat energy than solid rock. And you'll see in a lot of greenhouses, people put big trom walls there, cement or rock walls or something, to absorb the heat and then to let it off at night. Well, it's awful hard to move a big pile of rock. Uh, it's very easy to move water with a little pump. So if you have something like this, now the hot, uh, as, as water heats up, it's going to expand. And so it's going to go up. You don't need a pump. It's just going to go up automatically there. And then empties into this tank, uh, which is on the north wall. Uh, it's the south wall of the house, but it's the north wall of the greenhouse there. Then we have all this soil here prepared the Ellen White method. And so the soil is being wet, um, being damp, is another heat source. Okay, It's another heat sink. Uh, a heat bank, if we want to call it that. All right, but then you have all of this hot water here. Um, and if you just have one sunny day, even in the middle of winter, you'll get this. This water will all heat heat up here nicely. Now you can take that. Um, you can take that water, and you can heat the adjoining house with that very easily. Some of the nicest heat that you're going to find anywhere in homes or uh, offices is. Base uh, is in the floor heat, okay? Uh, it's very comfortable, very nice <clears throat> there. You, you need a minimum temperature of 90 degrees, okay? That's no problem getting temperatures a lot hotter than that here. So you can heat that adjoining house and you can heat this greenhouse here. Now there are variations here depending on where you're living and how severe the weather is. <clears throat> um, but this is a heat sink. This is, this is a heat um, storage system here. If we're in very cold weather, uh, we simply drain this area here in the middle of the night. Okay, so we just turn a valve so that this becomes empty. Now we've got a, uh, a dead air space here, which is more insulation. Um, if, you, if we go back and we study the uh, tabernacle in the wilderness, they had, what, four different covers on that tabernacle, right? And every time you, every time you add a cover, uh, you're, you're dividing the temperature from there from over here. And so you can get pretty good insulation. Um, another thing that I see is people will, will take a, an inside drape and they will drape it over this um, in the wintertime. That's keeping this a lot warmer here. For most places, if you, if you go with this, most places in the United States, in the continental um, United States, uh, this will, will allow you to grow tropical foods all winter long. Um, so you can grow your tomatoes and cucumbers and green beans and whatever. Ideally, I'd like for you to have a French drain pipe in there, and I want it to go all the way through, back and forth, and I want it to daylight on both ends. One is going to go right to the very top. That's going to catch the hot air, and we're going to pull that air down. Um, uh, at ground level on that, we have a fan there, and so it's pulling it down, but it's pushing it into the ground. So. Um, we don't want to just suck it out of the other side. We want to push it down. 
because the more air we get to the plant roots without drying it out, uh, the faster those plants are going to grow. Um, so we want to get air. It's doing a number of things. It's getting that heat and putting it down into the ground. Now my little um, omega greenhouse, if the temperature is 120 degrees at the top, and when it, it goes down through the ground and back out the other side, it's going to exit about 70 to 72 degrees. That means it's lost that heat in the ground. That's going to come up slowly during the night and on overcast days there. And that's insulated, otherwise we'd lose that heat sideways. Somebody else asked me about water. Um, if, if, this, if your pipe fills up with water, obviously it's not going to work. You've got to have that so that it, so that it will leach out um, and, and go away. If you, uh, my greenhouse, we're on a bit of a hill, and so it's not a problem to exit that water and run off, you know, just gravity flow out there. When you do that, you've got to make sure that the, that pipe that's, that's taking the water out is screened, otherwise you're going to get gophers and rodents through that and they're going to inhabit the greenhouse. So you've got to be very careful with, with that to keep the gophers out there. Let's see. Um, the, the air is actually going into the soil, um, but it's also coming out the other end there. So um, uh, <coughs> pipe is perforated. It's French drain pipe. Okay, uh, we're talking about air to plant roots there. Now, the, um, the fastest way to grow a plant, the very fastest way in the whole world, is what we call aeroponics. And you can buy a unit that stands about this high, uh, and it's a big white plastic pipe here with holes in it where we plant, we put plant roots into it in little uh, foam, uh, Packages. So we start the we start the seed, and then we plant these plants in it. How this works? There's a pump in the bottom, and it brings this water solution. This is a hydroponics. It brings it up, and then this water just cascades over those roots. There's no soil whatsoever. It's not sand or rock or anything like that. This water just cascades over it. There. That's the fastest way to grow a plant. There. Um, now, I did a lot of experimenting with this because if it's the fastest way to grow a plant, maybe there was a way, or in my mind I was thinking, maybe there's a way that we could make this um, very useful uh, here. What, what I found out is that uh, as I experimented with this, I, I wanted to use the ocean water salt, see, with those 92 different minerals in it. <clears throat> and when I used that, it just absolutely failed. It did not work there at all. <clears throat> uh, I worked on it until I convinced myself anyway that um, the hydroponics was not a way to grow good food. Uh, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of um, hydroponic um, lettuce um, in the grocery stores. And it's nice because it's absolutely clean. You've got no dirt, you know. It's clean, it's easy, it uh, has advantages there, it grows fast there. It also doesn't have the, the flavor or the food value that we want. We need the clay. Um, 
God said to till the earth. Okay, he didn't say grow hydroponically, but to till the earth there. And, and uh, yes, yeah, so till the earth and it, it will work uh, for you. Uh, the clay uh, holds on to nutrients that we want and then releases it as those plants need it there. And that's, that's what all the soil testing and whatever is for so that we do the right thing there. Um, Omega greenhouse. What, um, that, that greenhouse that you saw from the ground up, from the ground up is, well, from the ground up, though, it is about $15,000, okay? Now, people say, oh, that's expensive, but compare that to an addition of the same size, and you'll find out that it's not very expensive. Um, compare that to the fact that you're going to get heat out of that and food out of that and a lot of other benefits there, and it's not too terribly expensive. From the ground down, uh, I've got a little less than $3,000 in that. I use brick and um, the insulation board, and then of course the fertilizers that we put in there, and the pipes and whatever there, but, um, but I've got about $3,000, a little less than $3,000 in, in that. That's uh, 12 feet wide by 20 feet long, 12 by 20, yes. And that size can be expanded by uh, four-foot increments, so you can have 12 by 20, by 24, by, you know, by four-foot increments, you could expand it there, okay? Um, in a place called Brownsville, California, um, there's, a, um, there's a little country lifestyle center there and um, uh, next door to that uh, we are building a house just a, uh, a modest house and we're going to put a uh, water canopy onto the side of that the south side of that and so what happens <clears throat> ideally when you have the, this water canopy attached now you're going to get heat uh, you're going to get cooling from that in the summertime. We reverse how that water flows in the summertime. Um, and you'll get fresh air. And we talk about green building. That means that we build, there's a whole industry of green building. That means when we put carpet and sheetrock and whatever paint and so forth, that it doesn't off gas, that we're not getting poisons back into that room. Um, there's a lot of off gassing and in uh, construction products there. So we could build a house totally green according to their standards there. And it would still be toxic in that house. Why? It's because you and I live there. And so we're breathing out toxins there. And, and, and when we build, we have to keep the law, which means that we have to build according to the standard and make a tight house there. In a very short time, that is a toxic house because we're breathing out these toxins. Now, if you have a, a garden room, like we're talking about here, attached, those plants all need what we're breathing out, okay? And they're gonna clean that air. This is far more green than a greenest, according to the building codes there. So this, this is a good uh, 
thing there. Okay. Okay, some of you were asking about a soil sample. Okay, you want a clean bucket, that means one with no dirt. Put a, uh, take a bucket like that, put a brand new clean plastic bag into it, okay? A clean shovel, that means no, no rust. And then take at least three different samples from your garden, maybe more. Um, end up with a, maybe a gallon or more of material. <coughs> and <coughs> mix that all together so you have a good average. Okay. Out of that, you want to take just a little less than a quart, put it in a quart plastic bag, and then with the U.S. Postal Service, their flat rate box, uh, you're going to send that off to the to this, uh, lab. Now, almost all soils are badly depleted and out of balance. Uh, the soil test will tell you what's needed to balance your soil and bring it to fertility. So uh, just remove a little bit of the grass and weeds and whatever on the surface, and then go down and get a sample and do that at least three different places in the garden so you have a good um, average. Now I spread that soil out on again a brand new clean plastic bag mixing it all up and from that I'm going to take that little sample bag out there. <clears throat> okay, That's the soil uh, uh, form that you have in the handout. Okay. Uh, this is talking about growing in pots. Okay, growing in pots. Uh, I don't like to grow in pots, uh, but sometimes that's all the people have. Uh, now, when we grow in pots, you go to the store and you get some potting soil and you put it in that pot and you put your plant into it. Basically what you're doing is growing hydroponically in that pot. That potting soil is just holding the plant there and then you've got to fertilize it and water it. Now why do we use potting soil? Because if we put clay in there, clay is going to shrink when it dries. It's going to expand uh, when it gets wet. And so what happens is that people uh, water their plants if they're using clay. We need the clay to, you know, to grow good food. So people water their plant because they've got some clay in there. And pretty soon the water's running out the bottom and they think, oh, I've watered enough, I'm wasting water, and they quit watering. Very often what I find in that situation, we take that plant out of there, we cut right through that ball, and the center is bone dry. That plant is trying to live off of a little bit of water and soil around the edge there. You're not going to get a good plant, you're not going to get a healthy plant with that. So, <clears throat> so we have to use potting soil uh, so that we don't have the shrinking and expanding there. But now you have to use lots of, of um, fertilizer and you have to, have to water it often. Sometimes in the middle of summer, it might be two or three times a day there. <clears throat> Typically most uh, organic, it's mostly organic matter, also contains perlite, which is light and fluffy, holds water, releases to the plant as needed. Uh, very poor quality food. Um, used in hydroponic systems, but uh, potting there. Okay, aeroponics we discussed earlier uh, there. Now, Jared's formula, this is uh, Jared Thurman, some of you know him. Uh, so he made a, a potting soil, which is, well, this is just showing how he used that potting soil. He made a potting soil, we've got a, a, a formula for that. And the idea was, this was 
few years back. The idea was that he would manufacture this soil and that he would sell it. And we found out that shipping soil across the United States just didn't make sense there. So we'd have to do it locally there. His idea was that by, uh, by manufacturing this and, and selling it, um, that he would be able to support orphanages that he has in Jamaica and uh, Haiti and Africa, other places uh, around the world. So what, what he decided instead was simply to give it away to, and you can use it any way you want to. If you wanted to make a donation to one of his orphanages, you could do that there. Now here, what he's doing, he's got this, uh, he's got basically the Ellen White method here. Okay, so we've got Jared's formula up here. We've got two-thirds topsoil mixed with one-third peat, uh, peat moss. We've got that rock layer that we talked about. Okay, and the Ellen White planting method, that's gonna change the electrical magnetic field in there. That was part of the science of the soil that was told to Ellen White by the angel. And then she wrote it in a very um, easy way to understand. Um, formula for drainage if used for, uh, for permanent, oh, down here. So this is rock here, but this is also rock down here if this is a permanent uh, potting mix. If it's not, then I use wood chips down here if it's just gonna be for one season uh, uh, for drainage. Let's see, one on the left, a uh, year later, potting soil, I can't even read that. That's, those are Moringa plants, but you can see a, a marked difference between those two plants. Um, the one on your right uh, is, um, uh, is blooming, and that is using Jared's formula. It did very, very well, um, and both plants were planted at the same time. Um, very similar situations, but you can see quite a difference there. Okay, there's another formula that you can use here, and this is to change plants. Um, maybe you have plants growing but not producing anything. Several of you have said, well, I've got an apple tree or I've got you know, a certain kind of plant, but it didn't, it didn't give me many apples. It didn't give me much produce. Same thing happens with tomatoes. There's a fellow in uh, uh, Sacramento, nice young fellow, had a small backyard. And so he built uh, a trellis that was 10 feet tall for his tomatoes in the backyard. And he would go around the neighborhood, he would get uh, manure and he would get leaves and straw and whatever. He would just pile it up. Now this was in a part of Sacramento where um, Bermuda grass was just everywhere. So he needed some things to crowd out the, the Bermuda grass there. I went to visit him and his tomato plants, sure enough, they grew 10 feet tall, and they grew another four feet above that. So he had 14 foot tall tomato plants there. Um, I had more tomatoes on a six or seven foot tall plant that I can reach and pick and eat than he had on 14 foot tall tomato plants. So <clears throat> use the right thing, <clears throat> the right formula, and you'll get the produce that you need. Um, uh, we don't need all that that extra growth there. So how do you change a plant from growing leaves and stems to growing flowers and fruit? Um, here's the formula. You see you've got a Coke can over here and a, a 
some vinegar, and uh, what's the other one there? That is uh, ammonia, just household ammonia, okay? All right, let's look at this here. We were, <clears throat> I was in garden class one night and was explaining this formula. And so um, here it is, you take a five gallon bucket to begin with, put in a pint of ammonia, it's half a quart, a whole quart of vinegar, and one can of Coke regular or Pepsi regular. You want the, you want the sugar <clears throat> as well as the phosphoric acid. Can't be dyed drink, okay? And then if you have it, use about a quart of ocean water. That's optional, it'll work even without it. Now you can see that I've got a little fig tree there alongside of me there. So I was, um, I was drenching that tree. So I drenched that tree, it means I just poured it all over that tree, it's in a pot, uh, just a little fig tree there. And <clears throat> then somebody came in late and said, well, I wasn't sure about that, so I drenched that tree again. Then there's this lady that always shows up late, and she came when the class was all over. She said, oh, what'd you talk about tonight? And I told her, and she said, well, can I see that? So that poor little tree got drenched three times that night uh, there. <clears throat> now, I took that tree home, and uh, in a week's time, it had little tiny figs growing there, I could see. Now, I didn't bring that back until about two weeks. Later, two weeks later, the figs were just big enough that you could see them easily. We switched that tree that quickly. Now, uh, <clears throat> when we plant a tree, we want it to be big enough and strong enough before we switch it over to bearing fruit. Uh, another illustration may be that with the uh, technology that we have today, um, a 10-year-old little girl could, with hormones and whatever, she could get pregnant and have a child. Now that would be a sin against that, that girl uh, um, <clears throat> there, but, um, but it's there. That little girl would be so much better off if she were to mature at least till about 17 or 18, and then she would have the body and the, and the mental capacity to be a good mother to a child. She doesn't have that ability when she's small. Let's go back to the trees there. It's not a sin against that tree to, to treat it this way, but we want that tree to mature and to get strong enough before we switch it over there. <clears throat> uh, so anyway, I brought that uh, tree back. I do that pretty regularly in my classes there, um, and then I will give it away. That tree is actually uh, would produce more over the life of the tree if we allowed it to get big enough and strong enough. When we force it too early, uh, it's going to stunt the tree and it's not going to do as well. Go back to Leviticus and God said when you plant a tree, for the first three years, when you go into the promised land, you plant a tree, the first three years, count that tree as uncircumcised, as not usable there. Okay, so what do farmers do with this? They pick the fruit off. If you have any little fruits that come, pick it off, just drop it on the ground, it'll recycle. We want the energy to go into the tree to make the tree strong. Uh, and when it's big enough, then it will produce far, far more for us. <clears throat> oh, a, a drench is a liquid. 
Okay, a drench is a liquid, and see, I start with a five-gallon bucket, and then use that formula, and then when it's all in there, then fill it up with water, mix it up, and then just drench it. Just pour it over that plant. Pour it on. Yes, and it doesn't matter how much. yes, it does matter how much. Yes. Um, uh, now I overdid that tree, but um, it does matter how much. And five gallons would be enough for probably a 30-foot row uh, in the garden. Yeah. How much per plant? How big is the plant? See, if I want to, if I want to get a a 10-foot tall apple tree, the fruit tree that you've got in your garden. I might use all five gallons on that. Um, what about your tomato plants? About what? Do you use it for tomato plants? Oh, yes. Works very well for tomato plants. Yes. Yes. Um, since you brought that up, I'll tell a story. Um, there was a <coughs> farmer in uh, Pennsylvania. He contracted with a baby food manufacturing company uh, to grow tomatoes for baby food. Uh, his tomatoes got about this high, and they were not producing. He had very few uh, tomatoes. He called International Ag Labs and said, what can you do? And they m mixed up this type of a drench. It wasn't, wasn't these materials, but they did it scientifically. Mixed up a drench and had him spray that whole field. In about a week's time, those tomato plants change. You can see this. It works very fast there. In about a week's time, that field began turning yellow with flowers. In two weeks' time, it was had lots of yellow flowers and lots of tiny little uh, tomatoes coming. Now, as the season went and progressed, uh, he could see that towards the end of summer that the flowers that were coming on now and making little green tomatoes now, they didn't have enough time to ripen before frost. This is back in Pennsylvania. So he switched it back. Now. And they went back to vegetative growth. This is uh, reproductive growth. See, we want tomatoes. That's reproductive growth. So now they switched it back to, um, <clears throat> to vegetative growth because the, the leaves are the factory for the plant. And now um, the, the tomato plants quit putting on so many flowers. They still put on some. But they quit putting on so many flowers, and they started... Uh, growing leaves and just finish that season off with a, just a, a bang. So he had a, a bumper crop uh, from, from using the right materials there. Okay. Um, now, uh, obviously this is not organic. Um, and uh, uh, there's a product called Bloomit um, that I use instead, which is, so it cost me a little to do that. I don't have to fuss with all of this, and I just mix it and, and spray it on, and it'll do the same thing and do a better job. I don't use the Coke anymore. They've changed that formula there. <clears throat> uh, if, the, if your tomato flowers died, you made a mistake in the mixing here somehow or other. Um, I'll tell you a story on my sister, okay? <laughs> uh, she was growing tomato plants in her backyard, and... Um, and I sent her a formula as to what to add there, and we were doing, you know, so many pounds of this, and then it went to uh, ounces for, um, what was that, boron. 
Yeah, and she forgot to change from pounds to ounces and, and put pounds of boron there and killed everything. So uh, if it's out of balance, it's, it's going to uh, kill it. If you do it right and don't overdo it, uh, you're going to be all right. Uh, it'll, it'll be fine. Anything that's done to excess is not good there. Okay, this thing called transplant formula is just really, really good product. Um, and where we've used it, where I've seen it used, and, and, and how I've used it, it's one of the very best products uh, uh, to get a plant started off to a good, good start. And we use it uh, in other places besides just transplanting. For instance, <clears throat> in a vineyard, this is the first place I saw it used, uh, they took one row of that vineyard and used the transplant formula on it. Everything else was the same. No other changes. Same fertilizer, same water, same soil, everything the same. That one row that had the uh, transplant formula just outproduced the rest by a long shot there. So that's a good product and, and we use it when we put seeds in the ground. We use it on existing trees. We use it for uh, transplanting. Uh, it has the right nutrients in it, but what we're doing is we're putting life in that soil. Remember, that's the most important thing that we're going to do. We have to have the right minerals for that life to work on, but uh, that, that will um, change that soil. Yeah, I think you can get this transplant formula on Amazon. Uh, I don't know about the nurseries. There are a lot of different formulas for transplanting. Uh, and but the, uh, I've used a lot of different ones over the years. This particular one I have found more beneficial, and in in our new recommendations coming out, I see that it's being used over uh, a whole lot more than it used to be. Anyway, um, okay, okay. If you can't buy it, uh, you can make your own, but you make that. Um, with the, with, the, with the stuff that comes out of this garden in a box there, which we saw earlier here. This is an interesting, <coughs> this is an interesting thing. We were planting uh, at Leone Meadows, we were planting um, cabbage and broccoli, and cauliflower, whatever. And this is in a greenhouse. And we've got those, all these little plants out there. And you can see the transplant formula that we made in the bucket there. That's before we had this particular one there. And came back the next morning and half those plants were gone. Uh, mice got in that greenhouse overnight and just ate them off. So we took uh, styrofoam cups, cut the bottoms out, and put it over, over the plants, replanted what had been eaten there. And that was enough to keep the mice out. And they all matured just, just fine did very well there. Uh, let's talk about planting seeds. Often, often we have tiny, tiny seeds. Um, and you can find that planting seeds will become much easier if you will take, let's take carrot seeds for instance, they're so small, or lettuce seeds there. So if you'll take the, the seeds and mix them with a handful of sand, let's say you take just a little bit of seeds and mix it with a handful of sand, there and this takes a little getting used to but when this is mixed up now you've got your row made there and so you take this stuff and you just sling it like that it takes a little getting used to there now what will happen you're, you've planted in that row but you spread that out and it's just easier and 
you'll have less <coughs> weeding to do, less thinning to do, which is important. Here's a little um, seven-year-old girl. This was at Leone Meadows um, planting. And there you can see the same plants that got eaten up by the, well, I gotta go to the next one. The same plants that got eaten up once we put those little cups around them did just fine there. Now this was, this was in the middle of winter. Um, it was one of those days when it was, cloud would come over and it would snow and uh, <clears throat> then the sun would come out. And so uh, we were planting and we, we were planting some trees outside, the Ellen White method, whatever, when this was happening. And I had people go in the greenhouse. Both ends of the greenhouse opened up. Uh, it's kind of a long, narrow greenhouse. And uh, so both ends opened up. Whenever, whenever the sun came out, I would ask people to walk in the greenhouse. Just walk in the greenhouse so you see what it feels like. It's snowing out, okay? It's cold. And everybody had the same comment. Wow, it's hot in there. So uh, just something that we use we, uh, to help with your crop. <clears throat> okay. I think we want to get through here as soon as we can. Um, where there we're mixing a transplant water type of thing. There's that seven-year-old uh, little girl there um, planting. <clears throat> okay, I think we want to get through. Now, we go to an awful lot of work to get um, air into that soil, get it fluffed up nicely. Don't walk on it like this, okay? The only time it's okay to walk on it is when you have put seeds down and you just want to make it tight. But other than that, don't walk on the soil there. Okay, somebody asked me about deer proofs um, and gopher proof, non-poisonous methods. Okay, let's go to the deer proof fencing here. This is, um, that is uh, called fickle fence. And basically you need, here, uh, here's another picture of it, putting it up there. That is a plastic fence, <clears throat> and if you go to Home Depot, they have a deer and bird netting. Don't get that. It's not strong enough. Um, it, the, the deer will find out that they can walk right through it, and as soon as they do, they, they're in there every day. This stuff is strong enough here that the deer can't go through it. Now, this comes in seven, seven and a half foot tall uh, material there, and you can see we've even got women out here in a dress uh, putting this thing, and this is our church garden there. Uh, so this is seven and a half feet tall. We take eight foot T-posts and we pound them down so you've got six feet above the ground, and then the fence comes down and out this way, okay? You want it to come out uh, because a deer can get his nose underneath there and be right in your garden there. Uh, but when it comes out, they stand on that and they get confused and can't get through. The same thing will happen with uh, skunk and fox and other critters that want to get in there. And so uh, the first year you may have to put some bricks or rocks or something around the edge there. Uh, but after that, the weeds will grow through and it'll, they won't be able to get in. The trench that we see here, that was for the gopher wire. And so that is standing, uh, we stand that gopher wire straight up in, in the ditch there. You can't put it in with the T-post because then the T-post doesn't have anything to hold it there. So you've got to put it 
either inside or outside there. <coughs> um, I like this stuff. It's about $330, no, it's about 330 foot row uh, feet of, of uh, material for about $300. And so it's fairly inexpensive. It has advantages and disadvantages. Advantages that it's easy to put up. Um, two or three people can put it up quite easily. Disadvantages, if it gets, uh, if fire gets close to it at all, it's plastic, it melts, it's gone. Advantages, you take scissors and you cut out that burn part and you just patch it and put it back in there. So it has those advantages. I did find out um, that it has about a 10 year life. That's my own experience with it. After about 10 years, it begins to get brittle. It's plastic there, but it's, it lasts about 10 years. It is much less expensive <coughs> than the other fences and much easier to put up. But if you, if you have the ability to put up the permanent deer fence, then that would be good. Now this is only gonna be six feet tall at the top here. A deer can easily jump over that, right? Easily jump over that. So what do we do? The deer will not jump into a small area. So inside the garden, uh, within the first 10 feet here, um, you want a row of something. It could be a row of berries, it could be uh, grapes, or anything that looks like another fence in there. The deer will not jump into that area. It's too tight for them. Uh, they want a big area where they can run and jump uh, and get out. So um, uh, keep that in mind. The second fence doesn't have to be six feet tall. The second fence can be just this tall, and it'll do just fine. Matter of fact, if you have a garden, if you had a garden that was 10 feet wide and 50 feet long, 100 feet long, doesn't matter, uh, but just 10 feet wide, you can have a four-foot fence there, and the deer won't jump into that. Um, there. Now, if you have a three-foot fence there, they can reach their neck over and, and, and eat your produce there. Uh, okay, gophers and rodents, they are just a real problem there. Uh, gophers are vegetarians, and they especially enjoy tomatoes and root vegetables. Um, um, I can remember uh, growing potatoes and they, uh, and just about I would think, well, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna dig those potatoes next week. Really nice crop of them there. By the time I got out there next week, they were gone. Yeah, the gophers had totally taken them out. So you have to control the gophers uh, uh, or they'll just take over. What else, what else can we do? We use the gopher fence for one thing, going straight up and down in the ground, and you have to have about six inches of that gopher fence above ground, otherwise uh, the gopher will come up to it and just walk over it. There, it's, it has to be up. He won't, he won't climb that. See, he won't climb it because if he climbs it, he knows he's dinner for a hawk or an owl or a skunk or something, so he won't climb that there. <coughs> um, but you do have to uh, have that you have to patrol that fence because I've seen several things happen. One is that gopher come up and he makes these mounds there. And so he makes a mound close to your fence until the mound is higher than the fence and he can just drop into your garden there. Another thing that happens is that uh, that fence um, gets stomped on, gets knocked over one way or other there. You've got to keep it upright so you have to watch out 
uh, for those things there. <clears throat> okay, let's go to another thing that we can use for gophers. Um, and that is a product called uh, um, Molemax, M-O-L-E-M-A-X. Uh, or use castor oil uh, mixed with dishwashing liquid, Dove, Dom, dishwashing, and lots of water, and spread it out there. They, uh, rodents just very, they dislike castor oil uh, or any part of that plant. Now, people have given me um, gopher plants, said the gopher won't touch this, you know, and so you plant gopher plants around your garden, and sure enough, they don't touch the gopher plants, but they go around them and under them, and they get your produce anyway, so. Uh, but but the, the, the Molmax works pretty good, and the, the um, uh, castor oil works pretty good also there. <clears throat> okay. Let's see. There's a, that, that's a good gopher fence there. If you have real problems, you might want to go. That's a 24-inch fence. You might want to go to a 30, 30 or 36-inch. Well, okay, what doesn't work well? Okay, shooting, trapping, and poisoning, they all work. <laughs> Get that kid out there, your grandson out there with these gun and pay him a dollar per gopher, huh? <laughs> That'll work. Uh, deterrence with noise, lights, smells, and so forth, dogs and cats. They all work to some extent. Uh, seems like every time I teach a new class that somebody will come to me and say, oh, I've got this wonderful device for gophers. And um, there are several different variations on it, but one is a tube that goes down in the ground about this far, and it has batteries in it, and it puts out a little noise. So every 45 seconds or so, it's going to go zzz, zzz, and that puts a vibration into the ground. And so sure enough, the gophers hear that there's something there and they avoid it um, until they realize that that's just a dinner bell and there's lots of good food over there. <laughs> this media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.